Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Have high-ranking U.S. military officers had encounters with aliens? Has alien technology been secretly ceded to American industry? Who was Colonel Philip Corso? Hello, and welcome to the 882nd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, coming to you from WON, AM, and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app, from TalkStream Live, and on, and on TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and those CD questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. And today we bring you a a guest, almost said a ghost, a guest who hasn't been with us for a very long time, actually. And uh, if you'd like to join us on the air, you can give us a call at 401-766-1240. That is from anywhere. Or you can email paul at behindtheparanormal.com or get to us via various social media platforms. Coming to us via Skype today in her first appearance on the show in over 10 years is Italian-American journalist Paolo Lupisi Harris, Widely published in North America and in, in Europe, Paula is an investigative reporter specializing in UFO and extraterrestrial phenomena, uh, which she has studied since 1979. She has rubbed, rubbed elbows with the likes of Dr. J. Allen Hynek and high-ranking military officers. One of these was Colonel Philip J. Corso, 1915 to 1998, in Roswell, New Mexico, uh, and became his friend and confidant when she met him there. Uh, their astounding talks, as detailed in Paula's new, uh, relatively new book, Conversations with Colonel Corso, are the subject of our show today. And I should mention, for the sake of our local audience in southeastern New England, uh, Paula has lots of Rhode Island and Providence connections. She attended Rhode Island College. Her father, who was the Italian consul in Providence, uh, taught at Providence College, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe she can say a little more about that. Uh, Paula, we usually don't go off track, but this is so interesting uh, yeah, did say eight or ten words about your, your local connection. <laughs> no more, no less. I grew up in Rhode Island. I grew up uh, in Providence. My father was the Italian consul for the state of Rhode Island. And, you know, I have a lot of memories. I went to Rhode Island College. Um, I went to St. Xavier's Academy when I was... Uh, when I was in high school, and also, you know, I lived all that social life. I went to the Newport Folk Festival. I went to, um, they were great times, and I'm talking the 1960s and 70s. So my life in Rhode Island was 60s and 70s, and, uh, and of course, the word socket. <laughs> uh, that's, you know, I, I Woonsocket, um, uh, I Cranston. I went to school in Cranston, uh, but I haven't been back. I live in the uh, Colorado Rockies right now, and uh, am very much a Western person. So I haven't been back in a long time. But I- I'm really excited to be on your show today because it reminds me of the old days. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, Ben. Uh, Woonsocket versus Colorado Rockies. Uh, what would you say? I mean, it's, it's pretty snowy right now, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's coming down outside. Anyway, Paul, it's really, really great to have you back, and it will not be another ten years before you're back on the show. Okay, so let's uh, <clears throat> let's kind of dive right in here, Ben. Sure thing. Yeah, we'll we'll just. We'll just... Oh, uh, let me give Paula's website. Uh, oh, yeah, it's yes. just Yeah, because that's important. We'll mention it again. Uh, PaulaHarris.com. Paula P A O L A. Okay. So I guess we'll we'll just hop right into the the meat and potatoes here. So who was uh, Colonel Philip J. Corso, and how did you meet him? 
Oh, I love that question. Now, when I talk about this, there is paranormal involved, so you guys need to understand that. We're in luck. Uh, Okay, when I was working in Italy uh, from 1992 to 2007, I was working at the American Overseas School of Rome, and because I had worked with uh, um, uh, Alan Hynek, what happened was the Italians grabbed hold of me for my background. So uh, my boss, who ran uh, a magazine called Area 51, knew that there was going to be a reunion of all top-level people for the 50th anniversary of Roswell. And so he uh, asked me as a journalist to cover that. And I really wasn't in any mood to cover it at that time. If you read my book, Connecting the Dots, Making Sense of the UFO Phenomenon, I I was undergoing kind of a trauma, a romantic trauma. And I said, Maurizio, I don't want to go. And he said, you better go, he said, because everybody in the world's going to be there. And I need this story. And the day after Roswell's going to be a bestseller, and, of course, I didn't have a room. I didn't know how I was getting there, so I flew into Boulder, and some friends of mine were waiting at the airport. So everything was, like, set up. And I drove the six hours to Roswell, and when I got there, um, I went to the press uh, club, and I said, I'm from Europe, i got to cover this story, but I have no place to stay uh, I didn't know what Corso looked like. I didn't read anything on him. I didn't know a thing about him. They said, well, we're sorry. We've been booked since February, but if you can find a place to stay. Um, and they said, open the phone book and find a place. And I opened the phone book, and the first place my finger went to was the Sally Port Inn. So I called them, and they had a room for three days that was, you know, available. And the room was right next door to Colonel Philip Corso. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> so my whole life has been like that. I could do a story on all the paranormals. I end up uh, at the right place at the right time. But, of course, I didn't know that because I didn't know what he looked like. So I went to the, uh, to the museum. He was giving a lecture about the book The Day After Roswell, um, which, by the way, is not accurate. It was written with uh, Bill Burns. And at the time of Corso's um, promoting that book, there was a lawsuit against Bill Burns and Neil Russell Productions. So one that of our, shut one the, of our show down in the United States. Yeah, that yeah. shut the book down. And if you want to shut a book down, just put uh, you you put a lawsuit against it, and your attorneys won't let you talk about it. So what happened was, I went to the museum. I was standing there saying, how in the world am I going to get an interview? You know, I go through this every time. So what happened, uh, this blonde guy that was behind me said, you're from Italy. And I said, yes. And he said, ask my father a question in Italian. And I said, who's your father? And he said, Colonel Corso. <laughs> and I said, I don't want to do that. I was like very shy. And the guy just took his hand. He shoved me into the crowd. I couldn't, I couldn't. I didn't have a choice, so I asked him in Italian about the Santelli footage. I don't know if you know about the alien autopsy. Yes, we've mm-hmm. done shows okay. on that. Yeah. Okay, so I asked him a question about the Santelli footage, and he, he looked at me and he said, you know, he said, I, I tend to think there's some veracity to that because he said one of the things that I had, one of the artifacts was that um, what it is is kind of a, a lens that the being had over his eye. He said, I had those lenses, 
And he said, we used to walk up and down the quarters of the Pentagon and we could see at night. So we knew it was a light collector and we developed uh, night screening devices over that. So, uh, uh, and then he said, I want to speak to you. And, and he got me in the back room and he said, you know, I know you. And I said, no, you don't. You don't know anything about me. And he said, I need to speak to you, Paula, he said, about some spinning pillars in the desert. And I thought, how in the world am I going to get to him? Because nobody could get to him. I mean, all the top people were there. John Mack, um, Bud Hopkins, Linda Howe. I mean, everybody was there. And then I saw him coming out of the room next to me. And he said, I'm going to come to your room tomorrow at 7 o'clock, and I want to talk to you. And that started a relationship until the day he died, a very close relationship. And he asked me to record everything he said so that I could later on, he said, continue after he was no longer there. And that is the book, uh, Conversations with Colonel Corso, that I have here, which is all based on audio tape. Okay, now if I can just interrupt for a minute. Uh, just to give background to people who may not, not realize it, uh, we've been referring to The Day After Roswell. That was written by Colonel Corso in 1997, I believe. 1997, And yeah. uh, it, it's the story, of uh, amazing story, of his um, being asked to uh, sort of take uh, artifacts from the Roswell crash of 1947, which was reportedly a UFO crash that resulted in bodies and everything else, uh, and then seed it, as he called it, to American industry little by little. And uh, that is what we're referring to. And his his job, one of his jobs in the Pentagon, he had a number of august uh, jobs on his resume, uh, was to uh, sort of work for the, the uh, was it the uh, foreign technology desk at the Pentagon and this was certainly foreign technology, as they would call it, and, and uh, th- that's what uh, we're referring to when we talk about that. I'm sorry, Paula, go ahead. No, no, I'm so glad you said that, but this is not just uh, his working at uh, foreign technology. He was given the task by uh, General Trudeau because there was a bunch of those guys, and the, the way they, they said it is the last one alive has to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And Colonel Corso was the last one alive, and they'd been giving him all kinds of reasons why, you know, they went after him because of money. He never made any money while he was alive on this book. Okay, there was a lawsuit. And the reason why I asked Colonel Corso, why did you come forth? This is very dangerous. He said, because of my three grandsons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got to meet the three grandsons because we brought them to Italy. But <clears throat> he thought the world should know that... And this is just Army. Remember, this is just Army. The Army Air Force, what uh, they they split in 1940, um, I think it was 1947. Seven or uh, eight, yeah. Or, or 48. Uh, and he said, the re- he said, the Army had this. He said, and we would get contracts. Because when I say that is I'm working on another story where the Air Force had it, too. Mm-hmm. And and so it, when you go to ask for money for appropriations, there is a, 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 a what do you call it, a, a competition for government contracts. So he was doing it for the competitive edge of the Army. So that resulted in fiber optics, high tenacity fibers, the microchip, uh, and, of course, the, the night screening devices that he would talk about. When I got him alone, uh, he talked about implants and other things that he knew about at that time. Um, he also had contact in White Sands. And, and 
when he was in the room next to me and he, he asked me if he could come and see me, um, he gave me a contact story that was so incredible. It's in my book. Contact yeah, the, the one at um, White Sands, yeah. The one at White Sands. And being a journalist that wanted to be credible, I didn't want to print it. I know and the I feeling. And I the story. I said, they're going to think you're crazy. Please, please, don't, don't make me print this. I said, let me stay with just your job. And, and also, because we invited him to Italy, I was able to walk him up and down the streets of Italy because he was the head of the CIC. He was the head of intelligence in Italy in 1945. He was the head of intelligence at 28 years old. So I made him take me to where he was housed. I made him take me to his office. He had strange things. And this is where the paranormal, we'll have another conversation, Paul, about the paranormal Um because he brought me to a street in Italy where a guy dressed in Renaissance outfit jumped out from a, from a, what do you call it, a, a doorway and almost stabbed him. And he shot this guy, and the guy was physical. And I couldn't believe it. I was standing there. Then, then it ju- I began to question my reality totally. Yeah. He wasn't lying about anything. He, he brought me to where he, they used to eat, where, where the military used to go. And so... I have to, even in all my work, I have to readjust my thinking. And and I'm ashamed that I didn't want to print that contact story. But I really wanted the man to have credibility, and I just wanted to talk about back engineering. Okay. Uh, There are a couple of uh, paths I want to take here. One is uh, just to mention that... uh, you know, I was in the military too, uh, nowhere near uh, the rank or jobs that uh, Colonel Corso had and certainly a, a much lower clearance. But when you have a clearance at all, you know, it's made clear to you that, um, first of all, you have um, no access to information to, that you don't actually need to have. It's need to know only. Now, in his position, he would have uh, needed to know many things, uh, particularly if he was heading programs, things of that kind. But we were also, it was also made clear to us that when you leave the service, the responsibilities go with you uh, to maintain uh, the secrecy that of anything you may have learned. I mean, you know, it doesn't end as soon as you, uh, uh, you know, leave the service. Um, so I, I, I would just, it kind of bothers me that he would be so open with anyone about these things. Uh, but I, I get the grandchild idea that this, these things are too important to, to not discuss. Um, now, did he at any point, <clears throat> excuse me, in, in your book you mentioned uh, some of this, that uh, at any point that uh, you should not write about some of this stuff until after he was gone. Is that not correct? No, or? He, no he never told me he not never did. to. Okay. I decided, no, I decided it. Oh, okay. Okay. A lot of times when I'm dealing with whistleblowers, um, and I know a lot of them, they tell me things that I know are useless. I mean, in other words, it, it, the common person would not need to know it. Um, procedures and so forth. And I use my discretion. Um, so with Colonel Corso, he, he told me everything. And not, but, I've also was warned when I moved back to the United States in 2007 not to talk about it. People came up to me and said, stop talking about Colonel Corso. Of course, his greatest detractors were Stanton Friedman and Bud Hopkins, who did entire shows. Both good friends of ours. (laughs) Well, 
I, I know, I know that there's there are a lot of controversies okay. I, in, in I there. I know. Well, yeah. I, I suffered a lot over that. Yeah. Because yeah. I loved Colonel Corso and his family. Uh, his uh, we br- have brought over his uh, daughter-in-law and the three boys, um, and he came twice to Europe, and I took them on tour. Uh, you know, so. But let me tell you that I don't think he died a natural death either. I think he took uh, his his life in his hands. And I think that he, what Stephen Greer calls, went off the reservation. So any of the whistleblowers that are out there need to be very careful. Yeah, and, no, I thought the same uh, thing. When he died in 1998, a year after the book came out, I, that was suspicious to me, despite yeah, his age. I don't want to go into it, okay? No, no, but that's fine. Yep. I cried my eyes out like crazy, like I, you know, I'm probably, I was telling you Clifford Stone isn't well right now either, um, and... I published his book, Eyes Only, and he did Crash Retrievals. And every time one of these guys passes, I suffer tremendously because I have a personal relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And they count on me. I will be the voice of these people after they're not there because they are the original source. We're not dealing with, uh, you know, hypothetical stuff. These are the original heroes, uh, whole yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I gave the uh, address of Paul Hellyer, former Defense Minister of Canada's 90th birthday. Yeah, we know him too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's been on the show. <laughs> I show up there, and he says, "Paula, everybody's laughing at me." He said, "But you get up there and you give a five-minute speech about what I, <laughs> what we know." And I, I thought I wasn't ready. Nobody told me that. Nobody said anything. So here. You know, every he he he, he takes a, your spoon and goes on the glass. He says, "Paula Harris is now going to." And I looked at all those ministers who are now like ninety, ninety-five, and I said, "What am I going to say?" And I, I started. I said, "You're laughing at UFOs." I said, "But what's funny about them? The nineteen sixty-nine missile shutdown at Maelstrom Air Force Base. Oh, yeah. but one missile right after another shuts down in sequence, and there's a UFO there. Do you want to laugh at that?" And then I said, and then I just had interviewed uh, Jean-Charles Dubuc, who was uh, Air, Air France. I had just been in Barcelona. I interviewed him. He's a pilot. And he had told me he had 300 people in the airplane when this huge UFO the size of a football field is over Paris. Of course, I asked yeah, we him. We know him, too. Where. You know him, too. Yeah. <laughs> we, we get around. Yeah. And he said uh, it was over a nuclear installation. So I put two and two together about, you know, yeah. all sightings Absolutely. and uh and i said you want to laugh at that he had 300 people in the plane do you think that's funny well I pa- said, paula we have a call i'm sorry to interrupt but we, we have a caller uh and this is uh one of our co-hosts and also uh it's uh our cousin rick from who's uh, the, our show reporter for northern california and uh uh no such thing as too many enos mm. uh, so rick eno is on the line uh rick are you with us hi hi yeah good Okay, because, uh, yeah, you have a question uh, for uh, Paula? Yes, I do, and I, I love your work, Paula. Thank you. Um, my question is this. I know that inside the craft, uh, well, I was told, I don't know for anything for a fact, but that they found control surfaces that could be operated by the hands on panels and they'd remove them. Do you know anything about those control surfaces? Uh, can you verify that they were there? Is that the Roswell crash? That is the Roswell. Yeah, that is, yeah, okay. that is the Roswell. All right, I'll stay out of this. Go ahead. 
Yeah, go ahead, Paul. So I'm, yeah. yeah. No, look, he didn't talk about that. He only talked about what he knew. And if you consider Roswell happened in 1947, Colonel Corso didn't get that stuff until 1960. So the thing is that the, I had also interviewed before that um, the mortician Glenn Dennis and Walter Hawk. And also because, oh, it's a long story. Someday we'll talk about it. I, I didn't work. Something happened and I didn't work for the school anymore. So I was able to bring Jesse Marcel Jr. to Rome. And I spent a whole week with him and his family. So he was able to talk about his father at my house. You know, with me. <laughs> so anything I've ever done has been with the original people. And that, that is where that comes from. It doesn't come from Colonel Corso. Colonel Corso was basically back engineering. Um, his, his claim to fame is that he, he, uh, went to industry and he told me the places he went and, and there was no paper trail because he went with cash. Uh, right. and he, uh, he brought his, when he told me he brought his German scientists with him, then I began to question a lot. Uh, and so I got an idea of what was going on. But Colonel Corso, like Jacques Vallée, guys that I don't know, believed in dimensionality. They believed in the paranormal. Yeah, we wanted to get into that. Well, Rick, uh, is it snowing in San Francisco? No, it's sunny in about 54. So oh, all right. Well, I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, <laughs> any other any further questions or comments for Paula? Uh, no, no. That was that was what I was interested in hearing about the control service. That's kind of what I'm delved into right now. Uh, okay. Yeah. So anything would be great. Okay. Great hearing great. you guys. Though. Okay. Very good. Thank you, Rick. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Okay. okay. We, we have uh, other questions from listeners, uh, a listener at this point, but I think we'll take our mid-show break at this convenient time. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paula and Ben Eno. On WOON 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful but snowy Blackstone River Valley. With our great guest, Paula Lapizzi Harris, we'll be right back. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to the Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade. The finest in late night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnigh.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? We're local and live at 99.5 FM, ON, AM, and FM. Okay, and welcome back behind the paranormal. Uh, let's continue our conversation with Paula Lupizzi Harris, and we have, Paula, a question from a uh, a very um loyal listener uh peter that even sound, makes him sound more like a dog than faith <laughs> uh, peter uh in bogota colombia who is um a uh, very very good questioner and sends in so we sort of consider him an um sort of an honorary guest co-host anyway what if, what if we go with pen pal peter pen pal peter okay there we go then we can then we can have the alliterations that we like indeed and and it doesn't doesn't sound as demeaning so peter writes to us uh, were there any important details that were changed be- between what Colonel Corso intended to write and the published version of his 1997 book, The Day After Roswell? First of all, I want to say hi to Peter because I've been to Bogota, Colombia. Tell Peter that I spoke at Tabio. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Tabio is a very uh, mystical place. It's in the mountains in, in 
Colombia. Hmm. And uh, I, you know, I love Latin America. All my work is now only in Latin America. Because, hmm. um, I mean, forgive me for saying this, but a lot of the American ufology is turned into a kind of Disneyland entertainment that I can't deal with anymore. So a lot of my work, and we could do another show on this, is in Latin America. Interesting, Uh, yes. Yes, Peter, yes, of course. The original manuscript, which I have, is not like the book. And Colonel Corso was never at Roswell. He was at Fort Riley, Kansas in 1947 when he saw a body in a a transport go through. Mm -hmm. And, And that brings up a lot of things. I don't think there was just one crash. And I'm not sure which body he saw, hmm. but he didn't remember. He didn't get the artifacts until 1960, the Kennedy administration, you know, during the 1960s. And so I had a long conversation about him. He wrote, I mean, about this period of time. He wrote three books, The Man Who Saved Rome, about the inception of the CIA and his feelings about that. The ma- uh, the day after Dallas, which will never come out, because it's about the Kennedy assassination. In fact, he was uh, also on the Warren Commission. This is this was an incredible man. I don't even know what I what happened, how I met him, because I re- began to put together, you know, connect the dots in a way I had never done before. Because I got it from the source, which is the secret to field research. You got to go to the source. So, yeah, there there was a lot of inconsistencies, but they were done on purpose. So the two researchers that I named could tear apart the book, and that's how it works. That is how it works. That's how it works. You, The real stuff is in there. Then they go after the stuff that they can, you know, they think is not real, and they throw out the baby with the bathwater. Um until his uh, documents came out, which is, you know, proof that he was head of the uh, Foreign Technology Division and the intelligence in Rome, because they didn't even believe that. Um, I, you know, people took him lightly, and I'm going to say something, Paul, that may not be popular, but it's our own researchers that debunk our own researchers. And Colonel Corso used to say to me, we in the government don't have to worry about you guys because you're, the infighting is so bad that we don't have to put in disinformation. You do it to yourselves. No, that's pretty yeah. <laughs> That's accurate. So true. Yeah, they told me that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny that you actually brought up uh, the day after Dallas. I'm going to skip Peter's second question and then go to that because it correlates. Um, it's more than likely you probably can't answer the question, so if you can't, just, just say it. Um, so he, he writes, lastly, in Corso's unpublished manuscript, The Day After Dallas, who specifically is identified as the ultimate mastermind behind the assassination of President JFK? Uh, as, a ch- as a child at the time, I have always been haunted by that question. Well, I asked him about that. Yeah, I shouldn't have, but I did. And he told me, I'm not telling you, Paula, because it's so, He said, I think he said it was so dirty or it was so bad that I didn't need to know. So thank God he didn't tell me because mm. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that. Uh, hey, that's a, that's a fair answer to the to the question. And I, I guess Peter's last question. Well, I um, wanted to say you heard it first on this show. 
Yeah. <laughs> you heard it first. Another not answer. <laughs> um, so Peter's Peter's last question. Uh, did Corso have any special information about alien abductions, or was that out of the realm of, of his, his you know, focus? Yes, he did. He had information on implants, and but he didn't call it abductions, and I, I don't either, and neither does Jacques Vallée and, and those guys. We call it contact mm. Uh, mm-hmm. because it's the interpretation that brings it into abductions. You know, you don't know what really is going on there. Uh, and uh, it was more a contact stuff. And uh, he was very interested in that. And um, he didn't consider it a hostile situation. And then he said, uh, I remember, but, you know, I can even send you the clip because uh, I have it because we filmed it in Italy. Everything that Corso did came out of Italy. Um, he said it would be stupid to even imagine a space war with these cultures, he said, because it would be like, uh, lobbing cannons or shooting cannons <laughs> at uh, at a very advanced situation. So he he looked at it and sa- thought that the thinking was ridiculous. You know that the, the, this was such an advanced. These were such advanced civilizations that you'd be just throwing cannons at them. They it would be. And then I you know I, someday I'd like to talk about Cliff Stone because. He told me the details of the crash retrievals, and he mentioned that when they did shoot, that the bullets would stay in the air. And uh, so we, it gets really tricky. It gets, it, it, we're talking really tricky dimensional phenomena here. Well, th- that was what I wanted to get into, too. Um, now, just as a bit of background, we mentioned the name of Jacques Vallée, who was a a French computer expert. Now uh, he lives in, in this country. He's uh, getting along in years. Uh, but he was, uh, I think, probably the, the original um, person who, who sort of put together the notion of what we call the multiverse explanation for paranormal phenomena. Interdimensional mm-hmm. um, is, is, I guess, amounts to the same thing, although technically it isn't. But uh, he was really... And I, we, I was kind of arriving at that in the 1970s before I'd even heard of Jacques Vallée. And then, then I discovered his work and said, holy mackerel, this is what, uh, the same thing that the, I've been seeing in paranormal work. And then Ben grew up with the idea, so he can't help it. Yeah, the, yeah. I've been indoctrinated into it. Yeah. So uh, Jacques Vallée, uh, that's that's who that is. And uh, I, I just uh, think that uh, it's from your book, Paula, uh, Colonel Corso accepted that that... Uh, idea uh john keel called it the uh window uh area idea too thin, or thin places thin places it all seems to have been accepted by um, colonel Cor- colonel corso and uh by extension i would think other people in the military and uh is that true and uh is that if so is that the reason why we are always running into the military or something that looks like the military when, when we investigate flap areas as we call them which is the same thing i know it's a two-sided question well you know i started with flap stuff i mean i started with heineck he used to call me and tell me to put pins and maps boy have i come a long way since then mm-hmm. um you know i he, be on the phone there's a flap over indiana start putting pins in this city this city um let me just tell people if you want disclosure i don't believe in disclosure so i'll tell you that i don't, I don't think the government is ever going to talk about what they have what they've done yep. and it's not the government because it's not the government it's the micromanagers 
of the phenomena, and that is global. It's global. It's not the mm. United States government only. Uh, there's micromanagers having to do with industry, and, and they're not going to talk. Why would they? Absolutely. I mean, they have no reason. They don't care. They're making money. Yep. So may, I, I want to recommend these books. There's four of them. Forbidden Science, yep. The Diaries of Jacques Vallée. Yep. And I've read them all twice, and I've met Jacques Vallée. And I realize it's a diary, so it starts back in uh, before Heineck days. Um, his journey towards the truth and all the meetings with government officials, with Bigelow, with NIDS, with all the attempts, all the attempts at disclosure. He's very sincere. He wants, he wants to know, like all of us. And Jacques is 82 years old. He lives in San Francisco. Um, and he, like all of us, we've all reached the conclusion that this is not simply you know, alien visitations from, you know, the reptilians, the greys, and the Nordics, ridiculous three boxes we put these <laughs> these visitations. I mean, can you imagine, where are you going to put the Virginia case in Brazil? They were little red beings, you know? I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, 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 the, the idiocy of the modern-day ufology, where all you see is the grey alien. And then I had to go back to Giant Rock days, Van Tassel, Menger, um... Uh, and, and, and Adamski, Orfeo Angelucci, who worked for Lockheed Martin, I had to go back there and realize that De- Grays didn't exist. They didn't exist until 1960, the Betty and Barney Hill. Mm-hmm. So you wanna, do you want to go think about who's managing the information? Mm. That's true. Yeah. They, they weren't around. In South America, Grays, that's not who's there. The Space Brothers are there. And they're physical. And so... You know, if you study ufology internationally, then you realize we're being fed a mythology. And um, so Jacques, for me, Jacques Forbidden Science, one, two, three, and four, were the greatest disclosure I've ever read in my life, intelligently done. But then he talks about his family, he talks about his wife and children, he talks, he's very much a poet. So he, he describes a consciousness that is teaching us something. I don't know if you want to digest that. A consciousness that manifests sometimes as a UFO, sometimes as a UFO, sometimes as a being, sometimes as an experience, but it's here to teach this primitive humanity something. Mm-hmm. What so, are the- uh, well, okay. what, what the, uh, sorry to interrupt. One of the issues that uh, kind of um, <clears throat> I, I, we're always thinking of is people are always throwing around the term advanced, whether they're talking about craft or whatever the technology is or the people involved or the beings involved or whatever is going on. And uh, I said, well, you know, what was the most advanced uh, culture on earth in or the, the most advanced country on earth in, in the sense of technology in the 1930s was nazi germany how'd that work out you know i would much rather be dealing with it with a culture or cultures that are advanced spiritually and morally than uh, ones who have the best gadgets I, that's just a thought yeah well we're on the same page we're on the same page but he's on the same page too but you have to be able to discern and how can you discern if you're ignorant and Precisely. you get what's being fed to you. 
you know, you can't just sit there and being and, and get what's being fed to you because it's mythology. I mean, people ask me the, the craziest questions and I always say, do you read anything? And they'll go, no, we go on YouTube and we <laughs> see it all there. And I go, YouTube? I said, will you start reading some books? I mean, I, I have a library of over 300 books and, and I'm going to jump in right now with something too. Uh, I had asked you if I could talk about one of your favorite people sure. that it has been your co-host, and that's Steve Laplume. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I asked that because I was I kind of encouraged him to write a book. Yep. Yeah, he okay, told, he so told us I was going to edit it, and he told us yeah. how much you helped him. Well, it was an accident again. I mean, that wasn't it, that was not planned. I mean. He, by mistake, uh, he had contacted me in 2004 when I was living in Italy, so I kind of kept track of him every four years because I don't even know why he called. But uh, in in, uh, this COVID time, I had time. I mean, it was the timing that was right. I had time. I couldn't go anywhere. I was frustrated. I couldn't travel. Mm. I would have been in South America with your friend Peter. Okay. Uh, So he basically... Uh, told me about this manuscript, and I had the time to help. But would you read, would people read the first-hand accounts of what goes on? And Steve ended up being amazing because Steve's uh, a natural writer. Since I used to teach uh, American uh, literature, he has the same style of, of J.D. Salinger. Mm-hmm. In a catcher in the rye, and because he has an amazing memory, I, 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 I find that these guys that have contact um, have amazing memories. In other words, they're chosen for some reason to remember the events because it not only affects them, it affects everybody who talks to them. And uh, his book, the uh, from Rundlesham to Redemption, uh, that came out is like I did with Clifford Stone, is I'm helping the world go to the source. source, And uh, and, and Steve is just, an, besides being an amazing human being, yeah. a very, very kind uh, and, and intelligent person, mm-hmm. uh, he's ex-military, so you know he can't make up stuff. I mean, this, this book that just came out should be added to everybody's library, the way Colonel Corso's is. So I'm just really the voice or the tool for these people. Yeah. Well, Steve is well known to our listeners. Uh, he's been a co-host of the show many times, a very dear friend, and a, uh, present during the Rendlesham Forest UFO cases, the Rendlesham Forest incident of 1980, uh, and actually in the following year as well, and that's who Steve uh, Steve is. Uh so yeah, we encourage everyone to to read that book. Uh, we have a link to it on our um, uh, our own uh, show website as well. So uh, Paula, in, in our last few minutes here, let's um, talk about your website, where people can find out more, and your other books before we get to any more questions. All right, my website. I'm Italian, so it's www.paolaharris.com. But I also put on a conference once a year in Laughlin, Nevada, and bring over foreigners. I'm the one that brought over Ricardo Gonzalez, Sisto Paz. These are contactees from South America. This year I'm bringing Egon Kregel, who's a rock star from Paris, who's a contactee but has written five UFO books. So 
my company that does that is StarWorksUSA.com. Go on to StarWorksUSA.com. And it's my job anymore to bring over uh, people from other countries so that the American public can get a 360-degree picture of what's going on. And can I add one thing, Paul? Sure. Uh, in January of this year, there was a flap. And I, I'm going to be talking in Los Angeles about it, and I have all the film footage from Germany, Italy, and, of course, just recently, Demi Lovato has contacted me. Hmm. <laughs> and she also, she also, New Year's Eve, saw a UFO. So the fact that there was uh, visitations or sightings on the first day of 2021, it's not because whatever's there, and, and they're not interplanetary, all of them, uh, whatever manifestation of consciousness is there is on vacation. It's it's because of a, a, a very clear manifestation, maybe for 2021. But um, PaulaHarris.com is my regular website, and then Starworks USA is the conference that I run in Laughlin. And then my books, uh, Connecting the Dots, Making Sense of the UFO Phenomena, Exopolitics, Gateway to Another Reality, um, How Do You Speak to a Ball of Light is all okay. about orb phenomenon. You know, it's all about uh, balls of light because uh, I've done so much research. I don't even want to go into it, but uh, the the idea of the manifestation and light, uh, light balls of light, and so forth. We got to remember, if we live in a dimensional world, there also exists uh, beings uh, of all kinds. I, you know, I was with uh, Monsignor Balducci. And not all beings and demons are aliens. Right. So we've got to get off that. Or they, vice we versa. We have to separate yeah. the phenomenon of uh, maybe craft with the dimensionality of beings. And they could be negative or positive or whatever you attract. Well, so We, we put labels on things that we can understand. Exactly. Yeah. So may I encourage you to keep going in this um, uh, dimensionality because it's where all of us, where Jacques, where I, where uh, even Colonel Corso, a lot of people uh, that are into uh, quantum physics and so forth um, believe the phenomenon exists in a form of consciousness. Yeah, uh, Ben has a question. I do. Um, I, I've been trying to figure out how to word it for the last 20 minutes uh, and it might not come out the way I want it to, so bear with me. Um, I guess kind of kind of to just to just reach not really a conclusion, but sort of bring it to today, right? So it's we, we're there are a lot more variables than there were back in you know even the early two thousands, the mid nineties. A, a lot, a lot is the same, but a lot has changed. There's a lot of unknowns that exist in the world now. We have a very tumultuous political and cultural situation going on, not just in America, but the rest of the world, right? You know, it's. Um, there's there's a lot of lot of spooky things happening, and a part of me wonders if 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 any of this is I, I mean the, the military is very very vast. There are many many different hands and arms and minds working on many different things at the same time, and I think it's very easy as a simple civilian to think, well, they're they're all focusing on this, they're all focusing on that, and it, you know, and as an ignorant civilian, 
I, I don't I don't I know nothing about how how it all works. So with with Colonel Corso's um, legacy in mind, is is his work still being carried out? Is this still a priority of of you know the military, the government? Is this is this still something that we're that we're dealing with now? Has it changed, or do you know? Wow, <laughs> so I don't even know where to start with. <laughs> I told you that's why I've been trying to figure out how to narrow it down, and I did not do a good job. <laughs> okay. Let's put it this way. The disclosures that are coming out right now have an agenda. Yep. Mm-hmm. They're coming out of uh, the current New York Times stuff. The agenda is, I mean, I'm very close with Carol Rosen, so I can only say it this way. Uh, if you watched the Stephen Gray Disclosure Project, uh, Carol Rosen said that she worked with Werner von Braun. Adamski wrote a book and he said, look, you know, we could change a timeline. If we had spent the time and money going into outer space, we would have met our cousins by now. And we didn't, not mm-hmm. even with the space program. This planet runs on war and reconstruction. And so anything that is coming out here is going to have some kind of financial attachment to um, appropriations for some kind of war. And if you run out of an enemy, like Carol said, like Werner von Braun said, the only other enemy that you can have is going to be uh, a space war or a space enemy or a false flag or an alien invasion, which should have happened years ago, but never happened. What was it George Orwell so said? War people, is peace peace, or war is peace, or something? No, yeah, war I, is my, no, war is, is, is appropriations. Is, in other words, what's coming out now is the, what I used actually, Paul Hellyer, is the national security ticket. It's we better bet, get together money for exotic weapons because if the aliens come and they invade us and they do exist now because we told you they exist through military film footage, uh, you know, we got to get the appropriations to be able to get these weapons to fight them. This is what the planet thinks. This is how the planet thinks. Unless you can go into more, and that's why I'm in Latin America uh, uh, so much, a more of an esoteric thinking. First, logically, if they're, if we were going to have an alien invasion, they would have done it a long time ago. Uh, and secondly, and secondly, why aren't we thinking that maybe all this is, and it's just like what happened with Steve LaPlume, all that was, was to get his attention. So when these things, and I don't know what they are, get your attention, your life changes. So you could go either way. You could be fear-based if you put it in the fear-based box. Or you could be illuminated if you put it in the, there's something out there that's that we don't understand that could be greater than us. And maybe humanity has a greater potential. And they're just saying, here we are. Well, we, um, it's refreshing to hear someone have a similar take to disclo- on disclosure uh, that we have. Mm. We uh we speak at UFO conferences, not any of the major ones, but you know, in the Northeast here, we're we're well known for that, and we're on panels at the end, and the disclosure inevitably comes up, and we had we used to have the likes of of, of our dear friend, the late Rosemary Ellen Guiley, uh, with us on the panel, for example, of someone w- w- whom we loved dearly, but we didn't agree on anything except what day of the week it was, mm. and. Um, she would uh, speak learnedly about disclosure, and then someone else would, uh, Linda Zimmerman maybe, and then I would say, well, 
I'm sorry, I don't believe any of that. Let's have a show of hands. Who believes what the government says? And the whole audience kind of groans. You know, and 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 uh, we we have a very similar approach to what to what you just um, s- said so well, uh, Paula. So, um, uh, disclosure. I mean, it's it'll have an agenda. It'll be incomplete. It'll be inaccurate, and it'll be as uh, again agenda. And people think the government is some kind of huge monolith. It's not. I mean, the the military services, as Ben pointed, are, are, uh, are in competition. Uh, who has this? Who has that? Nobody talks to anybody, and it, it's it's really uh, rather a mess. It's like so, a very very dysfunctional workplace. <laughs> yes, something like that for sure. Well, you you shouldn't really look there for your answers. And and as a teacher, an ex English teacher, would you guys read? I was going to say your books, your books too. I mean, uh, the books that are out there from the source material, Alan Hynek's book. Uh, Jacques Vallée's diaries have every meeting that was ever, the Rockefeller meetings, the NITS meetings. Mm-hmm. But people stop just using YouTube as their source of information because that is tainted with an agenda. Sure. Mm. We're going to send you a uh, UFO video that we ourselves caught in the presence of a number of, of people uh, who were working with us at the time in Pennsylvania, May of 2019. Um I'm sure you know Mark D'Antonio from uh, MUFON. Yes, yes. And Mark is a dear friend of ours, co-host of the show, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, he couldn't come uh, on that trip and will uh, be tortured by inner demons for the rest of his life because he wasn't there. Because a uh, tremendous uh, video. We'll, we'll send you that, and uh, I'd like to get your, your take on it. But in the meantime, uh, tell us once again uh, your website, and um, people can go from there. Please send me that video. I really want to see it. My we'll website do that today. Uh, uh, com. And Yeah, Paula, I say because that's my Italian name, but, it, you know, Paula is just fine. Okay, very good, because that's what we've been <laughs> saying on the whole show. Well, we're definitely going to have you back very soon, and uh, we'll be in touch off the air, and terrific show, and uh, keep up the wonderful work. I admire it as much as anyone, and we, we both do. And, Indeed. Uh, you're doing tremendous service. So, Paula, we'll talk to you uh, later today, I hope. All right. Take care, you guys. Don't get snowed under. Yeah, we'll well, uh, we'll try whatever. our best. We'll try our <laughs> best. Anyway, so, Ben, let's uh, take away our announcements here. Sure thing. So, uh, we have quite a cu- couple couple of announcements that, that we'd like to make as soon as I get to said announcements. Well, I can do the first one. Well, I, I just found it. So, it's, it's, all, it's all coming together slowly but surely. Plans are still on for an in-person New England Parafest on April 10th and 11th in Kittery, Maine. Uh, we plan to be there both days, uh, but we will do a live broadcast of the show from there on Sunday at noon. Uh, then we're scheduled to speak that afternoon at 3.15. Other speakers will include Shane Searway, uh, Andy Kitt, Dennis Stone, Nomar Slovic, the Connecticut Paranormal Research Team, Kristen Evans, Dave McCullough, Lynn Nickerson, and Tom D'Agostino. And you can check that out on Facebook. That's New England Parafest 2021. And we're working hard on our new book, Behind the Paranormal, Three Uneasy Skies. That'll actually be our first specifically UFO book. Also contributing will be our colleagues uh, Shane Searway, Alexander Penikoff, and Valerie Lofaso, someone you'll be hearing uh, more about soon. The book will also contain the best of our interviews over the years with the great researchers in the UFO field, and including she doesn't know it yet, uh, Paula here, I, I hope will... Uh, be able to uh, get her permission to use this interview in, in the book, as well as some of our own experiences. Uh, look for the book release toward the end of this year. 
And you can check out our current books uh, along with those of our other co-hosts at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can also find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and how to book us along with some of our 900-plus free recorded shows from our 12-plus years on the air, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Now, in June, we're going to be having our 900th broadcast, uh, believe it or not. So uh, we're looking for ideas. Uh, We're going to have a couple of special surprises, and uh, we'd like to hear from listeners about anything special you'd like to do to commemorate that. With the state of the world, who knows if there'll be a 1,000th show, so we're going to whoop it up uh, in June for the... Hey, you know, we we have a goal. (laughs) That's right. Yep, yep, And we'll see if we can make it. So uh, we've reloaded uh, most of our recorded shows uh, back to 2009. We're working on 2008 as well uh, on BehindTheParanormal.com in the archives, and uh, most of them are also available YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, etc. And links also to several charities we've adopted on the show, USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans. And uh, we know the people who run these charities, so please uh, support them. And again, the link is on BehindTheParanormal.com. So what do we have next week, Ben? Well, uh, next week, that's February 14th, Valentine's Day, coincidentally, our esteemed colleague and globetrotting filmmaker, uh, Alexander Petikoff, will return to talk of his adventures in making the new TV series, Chasing Legends. Well, loves and kisses to that. We leave you today with a thought from none other than Alexander Graham Bell, inventor of that ubiquitous device with which we all have a love-hate relationship, the telephone. Mm. When one door closes, another door opens. But we often look so long and so regretfully upon the closed door that we do not see the one which has opened for us. Unquote. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thank you for joining us on this wild ride and our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.